Hey everybody, welcome to Tara and Andrew vs. the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I'm Andrew. I'm Tara. This is part 56 in our 3,726 part series, wherein we select a movie at random from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide, watch it, do a little research, and then tell you what we thought and learned. Yeah, we have one cardinal rule. Uh, whatever movie we select, as long as neither of us have seen it, we are honor-bound to watch. There are other rules that you can find on our website if you're curious. We'll invoke them as needed. Uh, it's my pick this week, and last time Tara picked the movie Enigma, about World War II codebreakers, and for a movie with, like, multiple explosions in it, it was pretty boring. Yep. As Andrew kept repeating, not boring enough to make him fall asleep yeah. after two attempts. So, yeah, I, I gave it the college try, and uh, <laughs> did not did not happen for me. But this week it is my turn to pick, and so I'm going to shut my eyes so that Tara can start flipping through the guide. And stop. You have selected the title of a movie that I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce. Oh, good. If it's Matewan or Matawan, I don't know. But it's, We'll figure that out. Yeah, it's got a lot of people in it that we'll recognize. So this movie was directed by John Sayles in 1987, 132 minutes long. Got James Earl Jones and Chris Cooper and a bunch of other people. This story deals with class and race issues surrounding the operation of coal miners struggling to form a union in the early 1920s in Mingo County, West Virginia. The miners are up against company operators and gun thugs, while African and Italian miners brought in by the company to break the strike get caught between the two forces. A wobbly union organizer confronts locals and outsiders working in the mines, convincing them their only chance at dignity is to work together to fight for their way of living. Eventually, they take up self-defense against the company operators and hired gunmen, which climaxes with violence. Great performances by the whole cast rounds out a very believable period piece. Sales does an amazing job with the story based on actual events and people. Haskell Wexler's cinematography is breathtaking and captures the time and feel of the situation with stunning grace. All right. That sounds promising. Yeah. Sounds like it's got a, a good message, tells a true story, and probably something that... In general, we are well worth revisiting at this point in time. Yeah, there is the documentary on Netflix, uh, American Factory, about like a factory yeah. in the middle of the country. And, and then it gets converted over to... Chinese ownership. Yeah. And there's a part in the movie where the workers are trying to unionize, and it's just heartbreaking to see so many of them working against their own best interests because the company owners are fucking dirtbags. Yeah, it's a depressing look at the situation of American manufacturing. Um, or global manufacturing, even, because it's definitely not an American problem, but... It, the the documentary is really fascinating, and just, like, looking at the, the cultural differences in the workplaces is, is super interesting, so that, that's worth checking out if you have not already, and then you have Netflix. Yeah. Just throw that out there. Um, just one point I want to make is, I think... Americans might tend to have a certain viewpoint of China and Chinese people. And it's really prevalent that we conflate the Chinese government with Chinese people. You know, you, you have to look at things critically in terms of the cultural they're raised and the ideology that spewed at them from day one of their lives. Right. 
That aside, uh, <laughs> we'll be back uh, to kill your bosses. And then after this musical interlude, we will be back with our thoughts on uh, Meituan. Again. Hi, I'm Tara. Uh, <laughs> What's your name? Uh, and Andrew? Ander? An- Ander? Amber? Amber. Yeah, that's what people think I say when I have a mask on a lot of the time, apparently. Well, I think they think you say that even when you don't have a mask on, because you're not very good at... Enunciating? Enunciating your name. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. because of that, it makes me paranoid about enunciating my own name wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you work uh, in a call center environment for 18 years, several <laughs> call center environments, and you have to say your name like 60 or 70 times a day, kind of, uh, for me at least, uh, ruins your ability to say your name properly if it's a, a tough name like Andrew. You know, two syllables. Ooh. I know, two syllables. Tell me about it. Ooh, tough. Yeah, anyway. So speaking of names that are hard to pronounce, or at least... <laughs> I didn't know how to pronounce when we when we picked the movie. Uh, we have seen Matewan. Shows uh, how much we know our history, apparently. Because little did we know, it's a town in West Virginia. Uh, well, Apologies to... Any West Virginians. <laughs> any, any pissed off West Virginians who listen to us? To, to be fair, I don't think there is really a lot of uh, education about unions necessarily exactly. in history books these days. I think that really kind of feeds into a lot of the conversation we're going to have later about the movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's pretty telling that neither of us had heard of it, even though, you know, by all all rights, this is something that should have been covered, I think, in American history. There are a lot of things that sh- we should have been taught in history books yeah. or in school that we haven't been taught. Like yeah. being contemporaneous to what's going on in the country, you know, things like Juneteenth right, and uh, the Tulsa Black wall street massacre are things that we learned about from tv shows in the past right. within the past couple years yeah atlanta and watchmen respectively um yeah atlanta is fucking fantastic if you have not seen it by the way yeah it's, please watch atlanta it's so good so yeah there's a lot of history that uh we don't know about and it's a shame so i think for that reason like i'm, I'm really glad that we were able to see this yeah definitely it's something where it just kind of makes me worried about all the things that I don't know about, just with things like this, and, and like you said, Juneteenth, and all sorts of things. Right. There's, I'm sure, a lot that we don't know about our history and shit that is relevant to what's happening now. Yeah, and it, it's okay to know that you don't know things, as long as oh, you for sure. try to learn about what you don't know. Don't beat yourself up too right. much about it, but... We should all be constantly trying to work. Exactly. Like, we we can't be, like, all ashamed and just let that be the end of the story. Yeah. Like, oh, shit, I didn't know about this. Or, and just end of conversation. We should all be striving to learn more and, and educate ourselves, especially outside of our own sphere of experience. Yeah, absolutely. Bit of a, bit of a tangent, but I think really appropriate to the movie. Should we just uh, get to our rating? Yeah. So, as always, we uh, rate movies on a five-point scale. From uh, lowest to best, the ratings go don't watch, 
maybe don't watch, eh, maybe watch, and don't not watch. So, do you have your rating ready? I, I do. You? I think so. All right, on the count of three. One, two, three. Eh. <laughs> maybe watch. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I was, I'm torn because, like... It's, I, I was... Like, on the verge of maybe watch, too. I was I on the verge of eh. Yeah. So, I think we even each other out. I think it, it's a good movie, but it's not a movie that I would watch again, necessarily. Right. It's long, for it's, one thing. It's, it's a, long. It's kind of hard to follow. Some of it... I think it tries to fit a lot in... And, mm. you know, like, there were, there were some plot aspects that I... Even watching it, I wasn't quite sure mm-hmm. about. Like, I had to ask Andrew, why do you think this happened? One of the pivotal kickoffs to the movie like and i was like we'll just bullshit about it and figure out some, some <laughs> just lie and make it sound plausible uh again that's my call center training coming into it. but you know it's it, th- there's a lot to like about the movie yeah but um yeah it's a, it's a good movie but it's not like i said not anything that i'm tramping at the bit to rewatch rewatch yeah which is unfortunate because we own the dvd of it yeah because it was so hard to find Basically, had to buy a copy. Yeah, uh, a Korean, uh, which is weird because it's a, it's a Criterion part of the Criterion collection. It's I mean, so many but, of those go in and out of availability, yeah. so it's not not that surprising, I think. But it, uh, yeah, it wasn't available through their streaming service, which also rotates things in and out of yeah. availability. It's like, come on, you guys. But I will say, like, it it really makes you wonder, just the the way that this movie. There's so, I'm I'm just kind of shocked. I never ever heard of it. Never heard of Meitwan. Mm-hmm. Just the coal mining strikes and any of that. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not. I don't come from a coal mining family. <laughs> right. I don't come from West Virginia. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, a lot of the the things that happen there are very relevant to the rest of the country, and especially like the idea of unions and and unionizing um, for workers to make sure that they're not getting fucked over all the time. Well, it's not in the best interest of of companies <laughs> of companies to make sure that people aren't getting fucked over. Um, yes, exactly. As we'll touch on. Yeah. So, yeah, it's our country is kind of fucked. Yep. Happy Fourth of July weekend. <laughs> yeah. Which is when we were recording this. We, there, I mean, there's things that, about America that are great. Don't get us wrong, but yep. we've got a lot of work to do still. A whole whole lot of work to do. Right. And I'll just say that if you actually love America, you should be willing to do that work. Um, yep. If your door to your house is broken, you don't just say, no, no well, we'll just leave it like that. That's fine. No, you, you work to fix it. So recognizing your problems and working to fix them is a patriotic thing, I feel. All right. So patriotic Americans, let's all work together to fix our fucking broken front door. <laughs> and everything else that's broken. We're still plumbing, using metaphors. The electricity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, we're using metaphors. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, <laughs> just like you're like, oh shit! I better start get my first paycheck. Soon. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's we got work to do, and again, nothing wrong with admitting that we've got work to do. Right. We just, don't. It's not a problem for us to say that things are an issue, and and there are, there's shit that's fucked up. You know, I think it's more admirable to realize and own up to those mistakes and to say, let's better ourselves. We can always do better. There's, you know, no limit to how good we can be, I feel like. Right. 
You you want to be proud of America? Great. Well, let's let's become even prouder by fucking pulling up together and getting shit fixed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How many people have just stopped turning like <laughs> fucking liberal? Anyway. Anyway, so let's start talking about the movie. <laughs> let's of just... start actually talking about the movie. So uh, going off and off and off. Yeah, we about could. We could definitely do that. Which we could do, and we do <laughs> constantly. <laughs> so much. All right, so let's go ahead and start talking about the movie that we're here to talk about. Meet one. So uh, the movie opens on a train, as most movies do. <laughs> no. Pivotal first scene. Pivotal the train. first scene. Yes, the train scene. Star Wars trains. Yep. <laughs> Alien train. Space trains. Space trains. Gotta have them space trains. Yeah. Uh, so it's a train with Chris Cooper, and the train stops, and there's like a bit of a commotion. So he, you see him like peeking out of the car he's in, and there's a uh, a car full of black miners who are heading into Matewan. Who are like, "Hey, why are you? Th- what the hell are you dropping us off so far outside of town? Like, what's going on?" And then like a bunch of white dudes come up with with like pieces of boards and whatever, and start like beating them. Like, get the fuck out of town. Certain racial epithets are thrown about mm-hmm. at times in the movie. So the black miners, like, hop back on the train and they're like, oh shit, well, I don't know what we do. So the guy on the train, uh, we realize he's named uh, Joe Kenahan. Essentially, the white people are not just being racist pieces of shit, even though that's partly what they're doing. <laughs> but they accuse the the black miners of being scabs so we we find out that they are on strike from working in the coal mines due to horrendous working conditions that the company is unwilling to address so uh joe keenahan has shown up he's actually an organizer for the united mine workers and is essentially in town to try to help the miners join the union and fully unionize and and get shit fixed so he walks into town and he ends up taking up lodging at the home of a woman named Alma, who's the widow of a coal miner. Uh, so he meets Alma and her son Danny, played by a young Will Oldham. Who is? Bonnie Prince Billy. Yep. And Palace Music, Palace Brother, Bonnie Ball. Yeah. Bunch of music. Decades, decades of different acts that he's been yep. part of. Um, so he, he's pretty young here, like 16 years old, mm-hmm. but you know, he's got a very distinctive face. So <laughs> I saw that. I was like, wait a second. So Alma explains that her son, Danny also works in the coal mines and he's an aspiring preacher. And, uh, he preaches at a, apparently a couple different churches. Like there's the quote, hard shell Baptist church and the soft shell Baptist church. So Joe is invited to go hear a sermon that Danny's going to deliver. So he joins them at church and it's at the hard shell Baptist church. And so first the pastor gets up and he gives this kind of anti-union sermon saying you're going to be doomed to damnation and fire and brimstone, blah, blah, blah. Anybody what takes up with the union, that's my really bad (laughs) Southern accent Uh and impersonation. So that you're very welcome. Danny goes up and he actually delivers a, a very pro-union sermon. And Joe's just like, hmm, okay, good deal. There's there's some hope here. Yeah, there's I, I might be able to do some good here. So then uh, we are next following up with the group of black miners who have shown up into town. And uh, they're kind of rallying around uh, one guy named Few Clothes Johnson. 
and uh, he gets apprehended by local members of the union and uh, brought to their union meeting. And he explains that he and and the other guys who showed up in town of mine didn't realize that they were being brought in by the mining company as scabs. They thought that they were just there to to be equal miners and Working. equal work and for equal pay. And the miners like, uh, no. Yeah, and, <laughs> here's the situation. <laughs> and we kind of get an idea of that not being the case uh, when we see the, the mining company guys talking to these these new arrivals and yep. like, oh, uh, you're gonna get a company script and get paid in script and blah blah blah. And you have to everything you get in script, and we're giving you this place to uh, to live, and we're gonna take payment off your full first paycheck. And... Oh, and you owe us for the train ride, and it's yeah. like, okay, this is fucking. Okay, we we kind of get what's going on. Shady. It's a whole shady monopoly. And... Yeah. Just constantly beholden to them. Yeah, you're you're beholden to the company. The local Maitwan miners decide to allow the black miners, as well as some Italian workers who um, were brought in similarly, to all go ahead and join into the union. So Joe Kinahan is getting a little bit more settled into town and trying to understand the situation and get, get to work. So one day he hears a, a bit of a commotion outside. He goes out and Danny is trying to tell a couple of guys that there's no room for them to stay. Turns out these guys have shown up from a detective agency called Baldwin Feltz. They're trying to kind of strong arm their way into, into getting lodging at Alma's house. And they're like, well, the, the company owns the house. So you have to let us stay here. And, and Keenahan comes down and is like, hey, I, I actually was going to pay up and move you know, move out. I've got different lodging. So he, he gets himself out of the way to prevent Alma and, and Danny getting into this big conflict with the detectives and the company. Yeah, and then we see that these detectives are just basically company thugs. They Oh, total thugs. They, like, run into some of the townspeople the, the next day, and they're basically, like, trying to evict people out, part of the union, trying to evict their families out of the housing. Like, well, you know what? You're not going to play ball with us and with the, the coal company, then you can just get out of this house that we own. The, the town's sheriff intervenes, and he deputizes all of the town's citizens to, I guess give them some kind of legal protection or authority um, right. if they or have to defend to themselves. Them. Yeah, to be able to defend themselves. Yeah, and so that's, that's the reductive cool. to be like, oh, that's good. But um, yeah, it's, it shows that like the local law is not They're, siding with these shitheads. Yeah, exactly. They're siding with the, with the townsfolk. I think going back to what you said about the movie, not being totally clear at times like we we see that that a lot of the townspeople are moving out of the housing into tents in the countryside and they don't really do they say explicitly they don't really explicitly say no so i I think we just kind of have to assume that it's because they're doing it due to the pressure right from the detective agency men they don't want to like they don't want to i guess have their families in harm's way because they are trying to you know unionize and whatever I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's not really explained outright. But, yeah, so they, they've moved out of the town. A lot of them have into this camp out in the countryside. And they are all kind of figuring out what they're going to do to strengthen their bonds against the, the coal company. And this leads to a shootout at night. And so some of the miners are shot at and they escape. I think nobody really gets... I don't think anybody really got hurt okay. in this. So they make it out fairly unscathed, but one of their guys, this guy, C.E. Lively, uh, who owns a shop in town, 
is kind of suspiciously missing. They're like, oh, he must not have made it back with us. I don't know where he is. And then we see that he's working with the uh, detective agency. He's kind of a spy yeah. for them. And so he's a dirtbag. And this is further driven home by how he then goes on to talk to this widow in town that uh, Joe Keenahan had met when he came into town initially, uh, Bridie, who's um, had a little bit of flirtation with Joe. And so he talks to her about this and he's like, well, you know, he was laughing about you. He was talking about how you're sleeping with everybody. Right. Like you're a loose woman, basically. And, And she's pretty devastated by this. And so he... Again, somehow not really explicitly (laughs) noted or shown, but he gets her to make this accusation of sexual assault against Joe uh, to try to turn the other miners against him. And it works. They all believe it, and they come up with this plan, drunk straws, to figure out who's going to kill Joe in retribution for this assault. And uh, if you close Johnson is the, the one who ends up drawing the short straw. And we should, I guess, also just mention, not that we're going to get into all the casting here. Yeah. Um, it's uh, played by James Earl Jones. He's, he's great. Yep. In it. Um, yep, for sure. And he, he's pretty shook by this. Like, he's, especially because he's pro-union. And so there's this friendship that has been developing between him and Joe. Yeah. And so he takes on this responsibility as a grim necessity, I guess. But uh, Danny, the young preacher miner, had overheard that the detective agency was getting this set up, that it was just basically an attempt to get Joe Keenahan out of the picture. And so he's caught, right? And they kind of threaten him not to say anything. Yeah, I think somehow Lively is involved, right? It's been a few days since we watched it, so it's not yeah. totally fresh in our memories, but that seems vaguely correct Yeah, uh, from what I remember, too. And... So he ends up delivering this sermon where he is covertly letting the miners know that, hey, this is not what happened between Joe and Bridie. It's bullshit that the detectives are planting, and they've got a spy that is working with them to plant that idea amongst the miners. So... The men from the detective agency are there for the sermon, too, but they're just, like, drinking and hooting and hollering and just laughing to themselves in the back of the church. Yeah. And the miners, who are not shit-faced, figure out what Danny is telling them. They're like, oh, shit, we need to get over to to Fuclos and let him know not to kill Joe, because this... Because it's a big old whoopsie. It's it's a fuck-up. We've been played. So one of the miners sneaks out past the detectives and hauls ass through the woods to get to Keenahan and, and a few clothes before he kills him and makes it just in the nick of time. Uh, prevents Joe from getting murdered. Yeah, and a few clothes is just like chuckling like, oh, that was a close call. Funny, funny stuff. I was about to murder an innocent guy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Uh, fun times. As a result of this, they realize that uh, Lively was the one who has been spying on them and, and feeding information to the de- detective agency, and they, and they burn his shop down, and he manages to escape by the skin of his teeth by crossing the river. And um, he, from there, goes on to continue to help the detectives, like they interrogate a couple of the miners that they catch trying to steal coal from the mines and kills one of them, which creates further 
turmoil in the camp. This eventually culminates in a showdown. There's more detective agency guys who have arrived to help process the evictions of the townspeople. And um, the scene quickly turns into a bloodbath. Is it the sheriff that starts shooting yeah. first? Yeah. Uh, the mayor. That sounds right. There's a pretty bloody shootout, and I think pretty much all of the detective agency guys get killed. Uh, Most of them. Some of them ran out. They were just like, fuck this, and ran away. Yeah, and the, the main detective agency dirtbags get, get killed. So, um, And then like a few of the, the town's folk miners get killed as well. And, uh, Joe, and Joe gets yeah. killed. So he's uh, pretty... I mean, he died for his cause, I guess, which is noble, but not not great, right. <laughs> ultimately. But that's pretty much the end of the movie, is yeah. uh, the shootout, and then there's some like end narration where we find out that the narrator, who is, really only shows up at the, the very beginning and very end of the movie, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, Danny as an old man, going into a little bit of detail about what happened after mm-hmm. that, and then, yeah, the... The end. The end. And we kind of glossed over a lot of stuff. I did, at least. But, yeah. I mean, it's... There was a lot. It's a very... There's a lot that it's a happens. Dense, yeah. It's dense, and it's also... A little hard to follow in yeah, some Yeah. So, apologies if we... If any historians are listening to this. All you historians out all, there. All the historians. Um, yep. But... Uh, that's, that's the gist of it, I would say. Yeah, and for that, sure. That's basically the best that you're ever going to get from us, really, is the, the gist <laughs> of the movie. Um, but, you know, if, if you want to know more, obviously the, the movie is kind of out there. Yeah. <laughs> if you can so, find a copy. Yeah. So it's if you are intrigued and want to learn more, um, don't take our word for it. To yeah. Follow LeVar Burton. Yeah. To the watching rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I thought that was gonna. It was better than I in my head than it was. (laughs) (laughs) Out loud. Um, I kind of stand by my. eh, Yeah, I yeah, I get it for sure. I mean, it's it's definitely talking about an important thing that we need to be aware of. But at the same time, it is long. It is very long. And And also, I'm not period pieces. I'm not big on in general yeah. so it's not i think i've got more of a tolerance for period pieces which probably is why you were a little i felt more comfortable going yeah being a little more generous with my rating yeah that, that's um, understandable and i think also just the fact that this is i think probably something that people should be more aware of just this piece of yeah. history that um that also influenced my <clears throat> rating to be more favorable um but, yeah. you know, like you said, it's not necessarily, like, this is a movie that I'm gonna really, I'm not gonna necessarily pick it up again. Yeah, like, I'm, um, Out of all the movies out there to see, there are others I'd rather watch. I'm, I'm like, 100% behind the message of the movie. Yes. But, yeah, just the, not necessarily as keen on the movie itself. I'm actually watching it, yeah. And it's a shame because there is a fucking solid cast here. Yeah. And, you know, it's... It's really, it's, you know, it's very attractively shot. It's a really great performances. Yeah. But, um, it's the textbook case of a movie that's good that I just am like, eh. Yeah. It I just rec- doesn't really resonate. Right. Exactly. Like it should. Or like you expect it would. So. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's the movie. That is the movie. 
there was a pretty good amount of information that we were able to find out about the the movie, like the the making of it and stuff. And uh, John Sales actually had written a book that he released concurrently with the release of the movie, which I did not find out about until like I started looking up details on this. Like, oh, that would have been good to have been able to get my hands on a copy of to maybe look through. But at the same time, it was like $50 for a copy on Amazon. And yeah, so. Yeah. uh, But it's called Thinking in Pictures. And like like I said, written by John Sales. So uh, if you're wanting to find out more about the movie or the making of it, that is a resource that would be good to turn to. I found a pretty good interview that he did with Slate a couple years ago that I took a bunch of notes from that I think was pretty interesting. It touches on a lot of things that, you know, I think could have been better examined maybe in the movie or, or, or more explicitly stated. But I guess first off, one thing I noticed was just like how difficult it was for sales to get funding for the movie and that delayed the production by a couple years. So like he... But quite a long time, not just a couple of years, I think. Yeah, I think it was quite a while. He had like one company that was kind of backing the movie and they were like, oh yeah, we can definitely get a bank loan. And it was at a time when sales thought he was going to be able to make the movie for under a $2 million budget. And so they were one day from flying out to West Virginia to to start up pre-production. They'd almost fully cast the movie when the the company called him and was like, uh, so actually our bank loan got turned down. So, uh, sorry. (laughs) So, um... Sales like, well, fuck. And he just, like, went off to make another movie. He directed, um, like, three different Bruce Springsteen music videos, like, right at the height of his popularity. Like, I think he did Born in the USA, I'm on Fire, and, like, Glory Days. Really, when, when Springsteen was, like, getting really big. Anyway, so, eventually, he's able to finally make the movie for... Um... So, he made... First off, he made Brother from Another Planet with his own money. Um, and then he was able to put together some in, some money, including with um, help from a couple independent investors and then Cinecom, which was actually a distribution company. So they were finally able to make Maitwan for like $3.6 million, which was still a super low budget movie. So they only had about seven weeks to film it. And then a lot of the actors were working for scale. And because of that, that's why they were able to accomplish it for such a low budget. And I guess, like, for a few clothes, Johnson, sales had always wanted James Earl Jones. And he's like, oh, there's no way we're going to get him for this amount of money. And so they're like, well, let's cast for a James Earl Jones type. And they were already down doing pre-production when they were like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's, let's see. Why not? Like, it doesn't hurt to ask. And James Earl Jones just called up one day. He's like, yeah, I want to do this movie. So he did it at scale, even though he was he was like definitely the biggest yeah, actor. Yeah, because it was it was Chris time. Cooper's first movie, so he yeah was he was he, un- he was unknown unknown. Yeah, and I guess you know part of the reason that he had problems getting financing for it, uh, what he thought basically is that it's really not a movie that is going to have like a lot of draw necessarily. He, yeah. in his own words, he identified it as in, in the book that he wrote. He noted that. You know, the movie was a movie where the story was political, the hero was a socialist, the ending is not a beat. So, yeah, just a lot of things working against getting it financed. You know, he finished the script in 1979, and the movie didn't get made until 87, or released until 87. 
Uh, so, yeah, that's... Uh, it's a while. Quite a while. I mean, I guess it's pretty amazing that it got made at all. I mean, he, right. he'd he been fascinated with Meituan, like... Um, the history? The history of it, yeah. Since the, I guess, like, 1970s, when he really started hearing about it, when he was hitchhiking through West Virginia. So it was really a, a passion project for him. It had to have been yeah. for him to be working on it for that long. Both, like, the oral history that led up to him eventually getting the script finished in 79 and then another eight years before the movie itself was was made. It's, that's dedication. Well, you know, and I wonder, one of the things that he talked about in that Slater interview was that he grew up in Schenectady, New York, which is where General Electric had made most of their stuff. And so he saw all these huge buildings go empty back from when he was in high school in the company at the time. That's when they started to really shift production overseas. And so he's seeing that, like, happen through his formative years, and, like, I'm yeah. sure that would leave quite an impression on you. The whole destruction of the American manufacturing industry, essentially. And I mean, it kind of ties into why he was such a good match for Bruce Springsteen as yes. well, I think. Um, since that's kind of the, the plight of the working man is a pretty common theme in his work. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. And, and he actually made, like, a pretty interesting point about how the film business is actually one of the last really unionized industries. Um, and despite that, you know, there are more and more films that are shooting outside the U.S. Like, so much shit gets filmed in Vancouver, Canada. Because of the unions, I think. That's part of it. Companies are like, okay, well, we're going to film here and, and screw around some of this shit. He says, when they made the Hatfields and McCoys miniseries, they shot in Romania, something like that. And the quote is like, they have mountains, we'll take all the actors over, and the extras will be Romanians or Romanians or whatever. <laughs> and then he's he's talking about, even now, there's so much anti-union rhetoric. Yeah, it's... And if you want to work for Walmart, for example, you have to watch several hours of anti-union propaganda just to, like, start working. So... Infuriating. It is infuriating. Like, I really, I've only had one job. My last job that I worked for was the only union job that I've had. And y'all, if you're working as anything other than the, I don't know why I keep saying y'all this episode. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Um, but I mean, if you're working in anything other than a position at like the, in the upper echelons of a company, then you really should be trying to get unionized because you are gonna get trampled on by the company like a lot of companies are going to wring every drop that they can out of you and uh, yeah and i think we're seeing that now like we're seeing how vulnerable <clears throat> we all are as the working class you know we're pretty lucky i think considering our financial situation where we're okay yeah but like so many people right now are getting in such an awful situation financially and you're seeing just like the lack of of any kind of social safety net and unfortunately the lesson a lot of these people are learning is like blah 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 i want my freedom i want to be free to work even though I, you know, I could get sick or cause other people to get sick. And it's like, that's okay, because I want my freedom to work. And it's, 
It's just so messed up because of all the propaganda that's been put out there to make them think we just have to work and we need a, you know, that's what makes America great is we just are willing to sacrifice and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to have the American dream and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, the dismantling of our nation's social safety nets has pushed them into that position where like they don't have any choice but to work. And so it's fucking horrible. It's horrible. And... It's something where a lot of companies are really not going to act in your best interest because no. they have no financial incentive to do so unless yeah. like they are having their arm twisted behind their back and, and being forced to. So it's just a fact of how companies in the U.S. run of, dare I say it, capitalism itself. You know, if there's a profit to be had, they will do so by any means necessary. Yeah. If, even if that means... Doesn't matter who gets fucked over. Yeah, so... It's all about that profit. It's horrendous. Like, we're just so fucking brainwashed into thinking this is the way we have to live. And that this is the right system. And you see so many people, anything they don't like politically, it's it's now like, oh, blah, 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 communism this, socialism that, Marxism this. And they don't understand how capitalism is not serving them. It, it serves very few people. Yeah, it's... Percentage of a percentage. Yeah, and... Talk about indoctrination, but it's gonna, like, make a lot of people roll their eyes when you say that, but it is something that I think is drilled into our consciousness from an early age. Like, you should be thankful to have the job that you have and be willing to take whatever shit you have to take to keep it. Because you're lucky to have a job. Yeah, and it, it's something, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the movie, the documentary American Factory at the mm-hmm. beginning of the episode, and it's something that they talk to the people working in the factory about why they're opposing the unions, and they're like, well, if we support the union, then we're going to lose our jobs. And it's like, yeah, you might make the company owners angry, but if you are unionized, if you're a unified front, and you have these people working for you, to help prevent yourself from getting trampled upon, then you're going to be in a better position. Yeah. But it's it's a tough sell. It is a very tough sell. Just, and I... And I, it's not a black and white situation is the problem, too. Like, it's... You can't really simplify things. Yeah, and I, I don't blame people for being worried yeah. about that. But if more people were unionized, we would not be in as bad a place as we are in terms of just general workplace yeah conditions well you know sales in that interview he he brings up some interesting points about like he himself has to belong to four different unions um so there's like you know the acting there's directing there's screenwriting blah 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 and of course they all don't necessarily support each other so like there was a point where i think like screenwriters were going on strike and the actors union was pissed off because they couldn't work and they hadn't had any say in it. And, you know, it's like we're pitting unions against each other. It, too. It's, it's like a cat's cradle. There's it just is. like so many things that are entangled with one another and there's no one easy answer. Yeah. But I tell you what, what we're doing now sure ain't it. Yeah, it definitely does not feel that way. As you can see, like what is happening in this country and like, how rampant COVID-19 is because people are having to make these choices 
of do I stay home and not potentially not be able to pay for the roof over my head or, or put food on the plate or do I go and risk it? And unfortunately there is so much fucking right wing propaganda out there. That's like, well, freedom, you got to have freedom. It's so bleak. It's <laughs> in, in this, I keep going back to this interview, but it, you know, it is so relevant to what's happening now. It's really kind of scary, but at some point, the interviewer was asking John Sales about um, if he thinks that we'll ever get to a point again, because, you know, we've seen over decades unionization just crumbling across America and workers' rights falling by the wayside again. John Sales is like, well, I, unfortunately, I think it's going to take something huge like the Great Depression to really, like, wake people up again into realizing this is a protection and, you know, it's, it's there to serve them. Unfortunately, I don't know that I see that happening. Like, we are in an economic disaster. It hasn't hit home for a lot of people has yet. Not. So no, it I hasn't. Think that that's... I mean, who knows, 10 years down the road, if we're knock on wood, we're still around, what we'll look back on this time and have to say about it and, like, what, what comes of this. But at least right now, it doesn't seem like... Even when we're in such a disaster, people are really... There just are so many forces working to get people to act against their own best interests. Yeah. And, and you know, there's another interesting point that could have been better touched on in the movie, but is there is the way that the coal company pits the local yeah. West Virginian miners, the Italian miners that they brought in, and then the black uh, miners that they brought in. They pit them purposely against each other yeah and it's what happens all the fucking time yeah the we are they want us all as people to not band together because they don't want us to realize the fucking power we have if we all come together for the common universal basic rights and needs that we have and and push for it because that essentially would topple all these systems that are in place that just serve this small percentage of people and they'll do anything to protect themselves you know and so that means us all in, in general like you have to like defund education and you should really kind of pit people against each other and, and drum up these stupid differences political racial etc to keep us fucking fighting each other instead of realizing we all have one fucking common enemy. Yeah. <sighs> Fun stuff. Fun stuff. So Sales said that this whole thing that they did was an overt policy that mine owners would do, and it was called, quote, judicious mixture. Here's the quote from Sales. There's this cancer of unionism going around the world, and how do we avoid it? Well, one way we can avoid it is by having a judicious mixture of local hillbilly miners and immigrants, whether they're Greek or Italian or from wherever, and blacks who were brought up from Alabama. And those people will never get together. In fact, we'll keep them in separate housing and put mine guards in between them. What was amazing to me as I did the research on this is that despite that, the conditions were so bad that people who did have prejudices and suspicions against each other snuck around the mine guards and found some kind of solidarity. But one thing that you do see is it's just like in our country. The strands are woven together, but not that tightly. So when maybe the crisis is over or gets to a certain point, they can start to unravel a little bit. I think this movie could have really hit some fucking solid points 
and landed a huge impact. Um, but I, I'll just say, like, reading that interview with Sales, I think, was a lot more interesting to me than than the movie. And, like, sorry to keep hammering at that, but it's no. just, like, so eerily prescient to what's happening today. Yeah. I, I, th- I feel like it would have been prescient at pretty much any point, really. But, like, especially now, when we're just having this massive crisis. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um... <laughs> I've been really dominating. So no, it's fine. No, it's it, you're you're good. So to uh, to lighten things up a little bit, a couple of things just to really <laughs> take the take the shit at, like pile on these innocent people who were commenting on uh, the <laughs> trivia page on IMDb. You just uh, came up with trivia that's totally totally pointless. Yeah, God, it's some people who post on the IMDb trivia stuff. They, people are doing their best, but like. Yeah. I see that well, half seriously. Well, uh, are they trying their best? <laughs> they're just trying to get... Does IMDb have some, like, points system where you get, like, status <laughs> by posting trivia or something? Is there some weird meta game to this? Because some of the stuff that people are posting there is just, like, totally inane bullshit. Hey, um, did y'all know that uh, this is Criterion release number 999? That uh, That's, uh, that's <laughs> trivia for you to... Take in, I guess. Like that's uh, no, don't no. That's not. That's not interesting at all. Sorry. Did Did you know that the movie was named after the town <gasps> that it took place in? What? That's a bit of trivia for you, right there, Tara. Holy did shit. you realize that? I mean, we watched. I mean, we watched the movie. Yeah, two and hours. like we see immediately that he pulls up to a train station that's marked Maitwan. I just I did not put two and two together. Oh just no! The, yeah, wow. Like oh shit! That <laughs> makes a lot of sense. God. So, just <laughs> in case anybody posts in these trivia sections on IMDb that's listening to this, just think about whether it's something that's really going to be interesting. Really just try to pause before you submit something. <laughs> just my plea to you, please. Um, you know, I can kind of say that in general about anything that comes out of yeah. anybody's mouths or fingertips. Any, you know, just if you're going to write any kind of response online in general <laughs> or any message online... Take a second before you submit it, read it out loud to yourself, and try to assess whether it sounds just like total fucking nonsense word salad or not. There's so many people that I oh, God. get into arguments with online that's just so like... So many. I so bad. can't even discuss this with you because you're just spewing out a bunch of half-formed thoughts that are all jumbled together. You know, there's no point in really having this conversation because... <laughs> You're not making the point that you think you were making. I think that kind of wraps up everything we have to say about Meituan. Yeah, I think so. We're going to do a... Seamless transition. Into talking about some of our favorite YouTube series, which are BuzzFeed Unsolved's Ghoul Boys, Shane Midday and Ryan Bergara. A.K.A. BuzzFeed Unsolved. Yes, uh, although there's a bunch of stuff that they don't have anything to do with. Yeah, that's gets true. posted on the channel. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, the main series that they do is called BuzzFeed Unsolved, and they, they have two separate series, kind of separate series that they do. One is uh, kind of supernatural ghost hunting stuff, and then one is more based on true crime stuff that has not been ever solved, as yeah. the name implies. And speculating whether they can ever truly solve these crimes or if they will ever be truly solved. Yeah. Going through, like, different theories on what happened. They are so fucking funny. They're so funny and charming and and 
and uh, endearing. Yeah, and so the, the format of the, the series is basically uh, Ryan laying out the major points of what has happened in these cases, or in the, the case of the Supernatural episodes, just the history of the location. And um, one thing that's always funny is, like, narration is always so... So kind of stilted. Yeah, stilted and kind of quarterly dramatic, and it's, it's yes. just very endearing. It's very endearing. Um, and then... And, and the way he mispronounces some things. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> God bless him. Yeah. He's, he's, he's great. But, oh, so great. Um, and so it's Ryan kind of telling the history of these cases and these, these locations, and then Shane uh, interjecting. Kind of yeah. <laughs> he's a straight-up non-believer in supernatural things. Um... Whereas Ryan is very, he's a very firm believer and he wants to convince Shane. He wants like something to happen that makes Shane totally decide, you know what? I believe in ghosts. Yeah. I believe in demons. It's a constant struggle for him to convince Constant struggle. But they have such a great natural chemistry with each other. Obviously, they're genuinely friends. Yeah. But just like that chemistry, it's beautiful and very funny like the, the supernatural episodes a lot of the times they'll go to visit the locations in, in person and shane spends a good deal of the episode just taunting the demons like come on rip my heart out of my chest playing the, the skeptic role to a t yeah um and, and ryan getting like more and more freaked out by like, everything freaked out yeah <laughs> there are some weird things that happen in the episodes too and then shane yeah. just poo-poos at all, but yep. it's, it's, yeah, it's a delight. Oh. So, yeah, check out BuzzFeed Unsolved. For a long time, we were watching BuzzFeed videos, and we'd, I, I would see the kind of promo pictures of the two of them, and like, oh, these guys look like dorks or whatever. It seems really serious from this picture. Yeah, but it, and it then, can, like, one day I was like, you know what? I want to see this. Yeah. <laughs> and I put one on. And it could not be further from the case. Yep. They're, they're very funny. It's a very enjoyable series. And, God... The, they also do these Q&A sessions for each episode where they interact with the audience and answer. Oh, uh, yep, that's what I was leading up to. <laughs> yes. uh, so the, it's always uh, fun to see them interacting with the fans and answering the questions and, and things like that and speculating on the, the theories that the fans are posing. But also, at some point, Shane starts coming up with this idea for animations of hot dogs that he wants to have, like, running across the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. And it eventually evolves into this kind of epic series, like, uh, <laughs> uh, just what he calls the hot dogga. Like, the hot dog saga. Yeah. The hot dogga. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it's bizarre and hilarious and amazing, and uh, Ryan is just disgusted by every. <laughs> Every second of it. I think it's great because um, so much of the time it's it's always Shane's getting subjected to these different superstitious beliefs or like supernatural beliefs and going along with things and just kind of like rolling his eyes at some of it. Yeah. And then here's like the one opportunity he has to really like get Ryan to sit there and have to <laughs> suffer through something that he... <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, touch on. That's, that's, a, that's a really good observation. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they're, they're the best. It's something we heartily recommend you check out. Yeah, and we would be remiss if we don't mention that they kind of broke off from BuzzFeed. They're still doing BuzzFeed Unsolved, but otherwise they are actually running their own production company, Watcher Entertainment, and they've got some like really excellent shows on there. So I think that wraps it up for this episode. 
But again, this is going to be a long one. This is going to be a long like, one. If you want to keep on top of what we're doing with our episode releases, uh, you can always take a look at our Facebook page, Taryn Andrew versus uh, the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. Uh, our website, TaryAndrewVersus.com. Instagram, same name. And if you wanted to send us any feedback or just... Just say hi. Just say hi to let us know we're not screaming into the <laughs> void. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Because it takes a lot of our time and effort to make these episodes, even if it seems half-assed and, and shit like that sometimes, or like we're just talking out of our butts. It's probably like eight to ten hours of work for, each episode. for an episode. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, just, just drop a line and say, yo, if, if nothing else, we would greatly appreciate it. Yeah, that'd, um, that'd be really, really nice. Yeah, so TaryanAndrewVerses at gmail.com is where you can send that if you are so inclined. I'd like to say thank you to Boat, um, who is a phenomenal Seattle area band, um, for allowing us to use their song lately off the album Setting the Paces. Thank you, Boat. Thank you, Boat. Check out their latest album, Tread Lightly. It's excellent. Uh, we would also encourage you to find ways if you can to support your local independent video stores scarecrow i will yeah. say obviously you know you should support your local independent video stores and something that i feel like we should have been saying is that uh, you know please support racial justice charities yes. and, and uh, like especially uh, like black trans charities i think are especially just, black trans that's a community that is like so they have, like, just, like, like say, exponentially harder time of things yeah. for being both black and trans. Like, that, right. we can link to some of their charities um, on the show notes. But support your local video stores, obviously, uh, independent video but, stores. Yeah. But also support racial justice and do what you can. Please. Yeah, please. Please. It's the people's actual lives are at stake. They're actual human lives. None of us should... Just stand by and be okay with it. Like I said at the start of this part of the episode, you know, we can always do better. And if you have the money that you can throw at these charities, that is one way that you can help us do better, even if you're not able to get out to, to you know, rallies and protests and things. Right. No judgment. Not We're not all able to go out and put our physical bodies in certain situations. No judgment. But, like, if you if you have a few dollars... Or more than a couple dollars, or anything that you can give to help these organizations, or even to direct people. Like, there's nothing wrong with direct support of people yeah. as well. So, please, please, please consider it. Please do it. Let's all help each other. Yeah. Um, and and push for the America that we can be. We can be. Yeah. All right. Uh... Happy Fourth of July! Happy Fourth of July. All this is gonna come out much uh, later, but yeah, yeah, it's it's probably gonna be like <laughs> September or something. It's gonna be October. Uh, but good boy, uh, if you've not turned this episode off by now, <laughs> thank you, thank you, and uh, we appreciate you. And, until next week, uh, catch, catch you, you later, later potato, potato heads. heads.